Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark. There's Charles W. Chuck Bryant. Jerry's there. She just yawned. Yeah. This is Stuff You Should Know. Yeah. And if you like this, you can hang out with us on social media too, Chuck. They can. Yeah, we're on Instagram now, which is exciting. Yes. And we're on Pinterest now, mm-hmm. which is exciting. We have our Twitter account. Of course, our venerable Facebook page. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> our home on the web, StuffYouShouldKnow.com, where we have all sorts of cool content. Yeah. And you can find all that stuff by typing in SYSK or Josh and Chuck or Stuff You Should Know. Yeah. And it'll bring up all that stuff. Fun, fun stuff. It is fun. Uh, you know what else is fun? What? Freedom of expression. <laughs> That's right, buddy. Yeah. You know why? Why? Because freedom can't protect itself. Is that right? I think that was the slogan at one point. It may still be. Oh, the, yeah. Uh, American Civil Liberties Union. I thought it was get bent. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. It is a controversial organization, so. Uh, yeah, my heart goes out to them. Like, I love them in the same way that I love the inflammation from a laceration. Like, I'm healing. I know it's good for me, that, but it burns and hurts, yeah. and it's bright red and raised. Right, I, I know what you mean. Like, sure, defend the, the Ku Klux Klan, because they're Americans, too. Yeah. Yeah. What age did you realize it wasn't Ku Klux Klan? Uh, I think I was 37. Really? No, 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 no. Oh. But I did used to think it was Ku Klux Klan. Everybody did. It just rolls off the tongue more. Yeah. But then you turn like 10 or 11 or whatever, and finally your dad is like, it's Ku Klux Klan. And then shortly after that, you realize they're just a bunch of rednecks with too much time on their hands. Oh, yeah. 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 I can't remember what episode we talked about, but we're like, everybody hates the Klan here in America, just to let you guys who are listening internationally know. You remember that? Yeah. That, I mean, that's one of the ones I feel safe about. Like, no one's going to write in and say, well, like, well, I don't want to hear your opinions about the Klan. You know who may? Who? The ACLU. That's a good point. Yeah. No, they will defend my right to say that, actually. Right, but they'll also defend the Klan's right to sure. rally against you saying that. Yeah, They've well, actually <laughs> done it before. What's the famous Onion uh, headline? ACLU defends Klan's right to burn down ACLU building. Yeah. 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 It's pretty funny. That's great stuff. All right. The Onion. I looked to see if that was a Joe Randazzo joint, and unfortunately, it came about three years before Joe got there. Uh, oh, well. Still good. Yeah. Uh, so, Chuck, you sent me a pretty interesting little article that I think kind of illustrates the um, bipolarity, maybe, yeah. of the ACLU. But as we'll find, they're really unipolar, although they seem two-faced. Yes. We're going to get to the bottom of all this. Yes. And again, like I like the ACLU. All right. I don't care what anybody says. All right. Uh, so there's a little boy in um, Cannon County, Tennessee. And he was part of the REACH After School Program, R-E-A-C-H. It's an acronym that I didn't bother to look up. Yeah. So I'm kind of slack. It starts with reading, I bet. I'll bet it does, too. Yeah. And it's an after school program. Yeah. And this little boy um, was reading at this probably reading-based after school program, and he was reading his Bible. And one of the staff workers said, you can't read that here. You can read anything else in the world that you want. You can't read your Bible. Right. She said, or I was assuming it's she, but he maybe said... Our program can be shut down because this is a state-run program, right. state-funded, and like we can't have this intermingling between church and state. First of all, this is Tennessee that somebody's saying that. Yeah. 
Secondly, they they tried to take the boy's Bible away because he refused to put it up. He yeah. said, no, I'm reading this. This is what I want to read. And uh, there was a big kerfuffle, and the ACLU stepped in and is defending this boy's right to read his Bible in church because it's fr- in school because it's freedom of expression. Yeah, the same a- ACLU who has long um, fought to not have state and school-sponsored religious readings. Uh, even saying, like, uh, God bless this uh, this class of 2014, yeah. the ACLU would say, would be like, yeah, give us some money. So like, like you said, it seems like a contradiction is actually not a contradiction because they were doing the same thing. They were fighting for someone's right to express something or read something on their own, you know? Right. Because there's a, because it's guaranteed by the Constitution. Yeah, it doesn't matter if it's unpopular. No. They're, they're gonna defend you. Right. As a minority of sorts. Or in a single individual or a yeah. large group, it doesn't matter. As long as somebody's saying like, no, you're not allowed to assemble, you're not allowed to say that, you're not allowed to think that, you're not allowed to do anything guaranteed by the Constitution or the Bill of Rights, the ACLU, by their charter, will step in and, and defend you and your rights, whether they think you're uh, the vilest person on the planet or not. Yeah. and it, Hold on. I want to defend myself. I wasn't saying bipolar in the sense of the uh, mental disorder. Right, right. Bipolarity can refer to all yeah, sorts of stuff. Sure. I didn't mean it in that sense at all. Okay. Okay. That's good to point out. Um, they're all over the map, but generally they handle cases of uh, freedom of speech, uh, freedom of religion, uh, privacy rights. Um, but again, they will take up, and we'll see what kind of cases, like how you can get your case taken up by the ACLU later on. Right. But they handle about 6,000 uh, court cases a year. Uh, they are a nonprofit, and they provide legal aid, and there are about 500,000 members, card-carrying members, and about 200 full-time staff attorneys. Not bad. At this point. And there's a national um, chapter, and then there's state chapters. It's not state and local. It's just state, right? Yeah, each state has its own uh, organization, and they don't often uh, always agree with the national chapters, and they have to work it out, and the states are given the rights to work it out. Yeah. So, Chuck, let's talk about this. Why, why, if the ACLU is defending people's rights that are guaranteed by the Constitution, everybody loves the Founding Fathers. Democrats, Republicans, commies, everybody loves the Founding Fathers, right? Yeah. And the Founding Fathers created this great Constitution and then further created this wonderful Bill of Rights, and mm-hmm. everybody's happy about it. Yeah. Um, why would everybody hate the ACLU if they're just defending people's rights as guaranteed by the Constitution? Well, because their their view is we have to defend everyone, not just pick and choose. So they end up having to defend neo-Nazis and Klansmen and religious zealots and pornographers. Uh, and child molesters? On, yeah, like people on the extreme fringes, they still have rights in this country. Yeah. As unpopular as it may be, and the ACLU... Fights for those rights, and a lot of people hate them because of it. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> yeah, but uh, as we'll see, some some people who hate them also love them when the ACLU comes around to their side to defend them. Yeah, when they get screwed over. Yeah, they're very polarizing. Yeah, it's pretty. Uh, my again, my hat is off to this this um, organization. It's hard to do something unpopular and to that see you feel like it's right to walk a line too, which it's walk this line. And it's th- this line that it, it adheres. It's like, um, uh, oh man, what is the guy, the safety crusader, Ralph Nader? He, yeah, Nader. Yeah, he he's like the ACLU. He he was like, this is right. 
this is the right course. Yeah. And if we veer off of it, then we're wrong. If you're not on this line, you're wrong. Yeah. And he used that kind of thinking to, you know, get seatbelts instituted and all this stuff. But he, he was very unpopular many times. People who used to be colleagues and cohorts with him, um, like when they stopped seeing eye to eye with him, he would speak out publicly against them. Yeah. And the ACLU is very much like that. It's like, this is right. It's black and white. You are allowed to say this. And if somebody tells you you can't, then we intervene on your behalf. Yeah, with the idea that if the government is allowed to restrict the rights of some group that they don't like, that could lead down the rabbit hole to restricting other groups, and you just can't allow that in, right. in a free country. That's precisely right. So um, I think we've gotten the point across about the ACLU this, yeah. this third time out. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about the history of this organization. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, it started um, during World War One. There was a group um, in New York called the Henry Street Peace Committee, in 1915, and they were they were little sissy pacifists who didn't want to go to war, and they spoke out against it and uh, formed the American Union Against Militarism. And um, we're talking newsletters, uh, magazine ads, leaflets, leaflets that, and newsletters. Yeah, um, but that wasn't a popular thing back then, nor is it today. If you don't support wars, generally. In certain circles, you are thought of to be unpatriotic. Yeah, it's a lot different today, though, than it was before. Like, you know, those people that, that protest at Peachtree and 14th outside Colony Square every Friday? Yeah. Like, that one of the Indigo Girls shows up once in a while. <laughs> like, the, the people will honk in their support. They're not going to jail. Yeah, it is different. In this, in this era, these people who were put, sending out leaflets, it sounds so innocuous, they went to jail. Yeah, the Palmer Raids. In the United States... Less than a hundred years ago, if you said anything that was considered anti-government or anti-war, you went to jail for up to maybe twenty years sometimes. Yeah, um, General Attorney General Mitchell Palmer in the nineteen in nineteen nineteen and nineteen twenty conducted the Palmer raids, which basically rounded up and deported whoever they thought was a radical. Um, thousands of people, no warrants, no due process. It was just sort of like you're coming with me. Yep. You, you anti-war pacifist commie in waiting. Yeah, and, and I mean, like, that's a good point, too. Like, there was a lot of socialists. There were a lot of communists. There were a lot of anarchists. Marxists. A lot of Marxists. A lot of people who were um, advocating and agitating, too, for other uh, economic and government models, right? Yeah, yeah. The pacifists weren't necessarily, I mean, they may have had something in common with those people, and some of the pacifists might have been Marxists and vice versa. But the pacifists were just anti-war. Some of them were like the U.S. has no business intervening in a, what's, what amounts to a European war. Yeah. Other people say war is just a, a terrible thing and like I object to it outright on its basis. Yeah. They're pacifists and the pacifists too would get rounded up and taken to jail. Yeah. Um, and like you said, without due process, uh, w- without any kind of well, their rights were taken away. Yeah. In 1917 and then 1918 with the Espionage Act first. Yeah. And then the Sedition Act in, in 1918 where the U.S. passed a law that said if you, if you speak out against the government, against the war, against the war effort, if you say we shouldn't be producing this much rubber, well, we need rubber for the war effort so we can throw you in jail for up to 20 years, man. Yeah. And in 20 years, that's 20 years is different back then than 20 years in 2012 years. 
Because that's like, um, in 1998, 20 years uh, for the average lifespan oh. was 0.27 uh, of your life. Yeah. It was 27% of your life. Yeah. In 1918, that was 55% of your life thanks to the flu epidemic. Right. So that was a lot of years <laughs> to like go to prison. Yeah. You know? Sure. I mean, that's still a lot of years to go to prison, but I see what you mean. But it's in the context of this that these people were organizing and saying, no, we're not just going to shut up. We're going to keep doing what we're doing, and we're going to come after you, government, that's using repression. Yeah. So if like you admire the ACLU today for any sort of bravery, like if you take it back to the original organization of it, those, these were genuinely brave people who were willing to face not just being unpopular – but going to prison for 20 years. Yeah. For fighting for what freedoms that are guaranteed in the Constitution. Yeah. And fighting against war in general. Yeah. Uh, a couple of those people are the founders, uh, Crystal Eastman and Roger Baldwin. They were social workers and uh, big supporters of the labor movement. And they founded uh, the uh, AUAM, um, the, like I said, the American Union Against Militarism. And uh, they started assisting legally with some of these cases which was kind of the first uh, steps of what would later become the ACLU, was legal support, right? Which, the, which, is, which is the key. The Civil Liberties Bureau. Yes. Which is like a subset of the um, AUAM, where basically it was like, if you got sent to jail for um, handing out leaflets or something, they would come and assist you with your court case. Yeah, and that, well, that wasn't alongside. That followed the AUAM uh, split and then the NCLB uh, rose in its place. I gotcha. Which was good. Um, Baldwin went to jail for a year for not uh, complying with his draft notice, got released, set up a different uh, NCLB, uh, now called the American Civil Liberties Union. So in earnest, it was born on January 19th, 1920. Was it like the day he got out or something? I don't know if it's the day he got out, but it was basically just the, the restructured version of the National Civil, uh, Civil Liberties Bureau. Yeah. So, and initially, like, they were thinking, well, we'll just keep up with the leaflets. <laughs> they seem to be working. Right. Uh, how about a newsletter, too? Leaflets never work, by the way. <laughs> right. But also, like, staging protest strikes, just getting publicity yeah. to try to um, have an impact on the uh, prevailing American sympathies towards the idea of pacifism or whatever. Yeah, they weren't just suing people out of the gate. No, and the, the reason why they stayed out of the courts in general was because at the time the courts were overtly hostile to the idea of freedom of speech, especially, but other yeah. constitutionally guaranteed protections. The Supreme Court would just say, no, we, we, we don't like what you have to say, and, uh, and the rest of America doesn't, so no. You're, yeah, you're, we're upholding your conviction for saying that the war is bad. Yeah, it was it, weird. Like literally up until the 1920s, most of the civil liberties granted us uh, to us were not tested even because the Supreme Court would shoot it down. Right. Like whenever they tried, they would just say, no, 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 you don't have those rights after all. You know something that I'm curious about? I wonder if there's a correlation, because this is also like the the end of the Gilded Age, but there was also, I mean, there were a lot of very like wealthy, powerful interests, and the income gap was pretty substantial back then. Yeah. And I wonder if, like it is now, um, with the income gap growing, if there's a correlation become, between income inequality and um, a repression of freedom of speech and privacy and things like that. Yeah. I wonder if like the two are related. Sounds like a book. In the making, my friend. No, it's just no. a question. 
<laughs> like too much work. <laughs> um, all right. Well, I guess we should talk about some of their most famous early cases. Let's do that. But uh, let's take a little break first. Okay. All right. So early on, like we said, um, the Supreme Court had hadn't been challenged that much in cases like these, and when they did, they weren't too kind to free speech. That is so crazy. It is weird to think of now, for sure. Um, but in the 1930s is when the ACLU began to kind of make a little headway um, against, kind of against the Supreme Court. Yeah, well, they started to win smaller cases that yeah. didn't have to go to the Supreme Court, and it was kind of like um, death of repression by a thousand paper cuts. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So, like, all those little cases started to add up where... It was like um, something in some change to the law in Louisville, Kentucky, didn't really have much effect in Missouri, but then they won a case in Missouri. And then right. if you started to step back and look at it on a map, you're like, oh, well, all of a sudden this the, the balance is swinging the other direction. Yeah. But when they did win big Supreme Court cases, they were huge Supreme Court cases. I mean, like some of the most important cases of the 20th century, the ACLU has either um, been directly or indirectly involved in. Like the Scopes Bunky trial. That was a big one. Yeah, they, um, and we've talked a lot about, uh, evolution lately. Um, and we didn't cover Scopes at all. But, uh, in Tennessee, there was a law banning teaching evolution in 1925. And so the ACLU went out and found a biology teacher named John Scopes, said, Hey, we would like you to teach evolution and let's see what happens. And he was <laughs> prosecuted. And the ACLU got together with uh, the famous attorney, Clarence Darrow, to defend him. Mm-hmm. And he was still found guilty, uh, even though that verdict was overturned later uh, because of a sentencing error. Yes, but, but th- so the ACLU lost. They lost, but it made big headlines and um, was really sort of one of the turning points in establishing like freedom, academic freedom in this country. Yeah, and I think not just as far as the ACLU goes, but any anyone who's kind of... Um, trying to make a change in the nation. I think one way to do that is to just get people talking about it because I think a lot of people, especially if they're in the majority or they hold the majority view, uh-huh. make the oftentimes incorrect assumption that everybody else holds the same view too. And I think just if you're just confronted by an opposing point of view, just knowing that it's out there, whether yeah. you agree with it or not, can kind of make you reflect and think about the views you hold too and why you hold them and whether they're... um good views or not right so i think that's the 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 impression i have of the case is that it got people talking right and it made people who agreed with not teaching evolution realize like whoa not everybody thinks the same way i do yeah ideally uh so you know your proponents are going to say that the aclu is defending uh their watchdog protecting everyone's civil liberties whereas people who poo-poo it say no they're really a left-wing organization and they subvert the Constitution, and they protect criminals, and they attack religion, and they have an extremist agenda. Um, so those are sort of the two sides of the argument. The thing is, though, is like they – if you go back over their their history – okay, this article points out the perfect example. Which one? The one where in the 30s and the 1940s, the ACLU defended both the NAACP and blacks' rights to um, – enfranchisement and just equal treatment yeah, and um, basically civil rights. And while at the same time, during these same years, the the ACLU is also defending the Ku Klux Klan and its right to assemble and speak out against 
um, bike rights. Yeah, that was the the Skokie. Uh, no, this is long before Skokie. This is like the 30s and 40s. Oh, okay. The Skokie was the Nazis. That was another big one. Yeah, well, I guess we can go ahead and talk about that. The Skokie free speech controversy in the late 70s. Uh, a group of neo-Nazis in Chicago wanted to uh, have permission to go to Skokie, Illinois, and not form a barbershop quartet, <laughs> <laughs> um, but hold a demonstration. And that was a... Um, Skokie was famous for being um, the center of a uh, Chicago's Jewish community. Post-Holocaust, a bunch of uh, Jewish people settled there. Mm-hmm. And so, of course, the neo-Nazis wanted to go to the heart of it all and protest. Um, they asked the ACLU for help, and they got it and were granted permission, even though they didn't use it. Yeah, because when the, the neo-Nazis applied for a permit to assemble or um, have a parade, a Nazi parade, basically, they, uh, Skokie City Council said, well, you know, the, you have to post a uh, $350,000 bond, which is going to cost you about a grand. Just yeah. want to let you know about that first. And the neo-Nazis said, you are trampling our rights. And that's when they got in touch with the ACLU. And the ACLU said, yeah, they're trampling your rights, it sounds like. And they fought to for the Nazis' right to assemble based on the idea that that $1,000 basically fee to assemble yeah. was prohibitive and that, you know, anybody who wanted to hold a, a parade or a protest or anything like that in Skokie wouldn't necessarily be able to afford that. So protests shouldn't just be open to the people who can afford that $1,000 right. bond. And therefore, the Skokie, I guess, relented. But the Nazis never even came. No. They, they never even held their protest. Yeah, and that's that's going to make you unpopular as an organization if you are campaigning for the rights of neo-Nazis, yeah. but the ACLU bites their tongue and say, no, we have to. Well, you know, um, you remember the part in the Blues Brothers? This was all um, very famously dramatized. Remember the Illinois Nazis? Oh, yeah, yeah. I hate Illinois Nazis. <laughs> and they uh, drive past them and make them jump into the river? Yeah. I guarantee that was because of the Skokie, uh, Skokie Nazi thing. Oh, yeah. it was all around the same time. Yeah, and they were Chicago as well. Yeah. And Chuck... Have you ever seen, you know, the uh, mall part where they drive through the mall? Mm-hmm. The, I made this slideshow, um, Nine Abandoned Malls Around America. Yeah. And that mall's in there. It's like abandoned and in this total state of decay. Yeah. The Dixie Mall, I believe is what uh-huh. it's called, Dixie Square. It's pretty cool. Well, the other one you have in there was uh, Avondale Mall, close to where I grew up. Yeah. And that famously had the uh, chase scene from Invasion USA. Oh, yeah. Chuck Norris like yeah. drove a truck through that mall. I did not know that. And the mall, it was kind of crappy. And I was a kid. I remember when it shot there. And then they got a, like a full makeover because of the movie. Yeah. And uh, now it's a Walmart. They tore it down. Sad. Yeah. It was kind of a crappy mall. Well, it looked pretty cool abandoned. Yeah, it looked very cool. Um, another case. Back to the ACLU. West Virginia State Board of Education v. Barnett in 1943. Uh, school board expelled 2,000 students uh, Jehovah's Witness uh, students because they refused to recite the Pledge of Allegiance because it um, their religion forbade worshiping images, including the U.S. flag. Uh, and they won the case. Um, the Supreme Court said that you can't force someone to declare your belief in any religion or nation, which goes back to, you know, it may be unpopular in certain circles, but you can't say you're a free country and then you can practice any religion you want, but then force people to contradict that religion. Right. 
You know, yeah. if this is the land of the free, you have to allow it. You may not like it. I'm not saying everyone has to like this stuff, but it's a slippery slope if you start restricting these freedoms. Yeah. You Can know? you imagine telling some little Jehovah's Witness kid like, well, then you can't go to school here if you're not going to say the Pledge of Allegiance. Yeah, you have no right to you education. It's, man, this country's got a not-so history. <laughs> um, what else? Uh, Joseph Burston, Inc. versus Wilson's one of my favorites. Well, all right, let's hear it. Uh, well, basically, there's this movie uh, released here in the U.S. as The Miracle, but it was um, titled in Europe, Amor, with an E on the end, so maybe Amore. Yeah, you know what the deal with the movie was? Yeah. A lady who, uh. She had a mental illness and thought she was the Virgin Mary. Well, she, she had too much to drink. And, oh, I read mental illness. Well, she was plied with, with drink and then had sex with a vagabond she thought was St. Joseph. Right. Who was played by Federico Fellini. Who co-wrote it, I believe. Yeah, but did not direct it. And, uh, got pregnant and believed it was an immaculate, uh, conception. Right. So uh, the Catholics, in the 50s. So I don't like this movie. They did not like the movie. <laughs> yeah. And they had a lot of clout in New York at the time. And in New York, if you were a movie theater and you were planning on showing the miracle, uh, the city said, well, we're just going to take your your license to show movies in general if you do that. Yeah. Do not show this movie. Some places in New York were like, this movie's banned. We, you can't even carry it into our city borders if, if you want to. Um, and they took it. The ACLU stepped in. And uh, they took it to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court said the state has, this is a quote, the state has no legitimate interest in protecting any or all religions from views distasteful to them. So they said, you're right, ACLU. That was a big deal. Yeah. Because at the time, religion was basically this kind of infallible institution that took precedent over everything else. The It was the 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 moral attitude of the country yeah. where it was like, no, religion's offended by it. It's bad. Sorry. It, it, whatever laws you've got that like protect this stupid little movie, who cares? Yeah. We're banning it because it's, it, it offends a religion. And because of that and many other things, the Catholic League uh, and its leader, Bill Donahoe, um, are huge critics of the ACLU, although he's also um, praised the ACLU when, when they've defended Catholic rights, too. Yeah. Well, Larry Flint, remember, uh, he fought some of these same battles and his attorney famously was like, I think he's kind of a scumbag too. <laughs> and I think the, he's a smut peddler and this stuff is disgusting. Edward Norton? Yeah. Yeah. He's like, but you can't, uh, you know, you can't say he can't do it. Yeah. That was a great movie. Except for Corny Love. Everything, everything but Corny Love was great in that movie. Yeah. Although I did like her in Man on the Moon for some reason. I don't, I don't like her much, period. Not a fan. Really? No. You like Courtney Love? No. Oh, okay. Um, no, but the, if I did, the ACLU would defend <laughs> my right to like Courtney Love, despite it being really unpopular. That is true. 1944, Josh. Uh, Smith v. Allwright, the ACLU. Um, basically, what was going on there was they had what were called white primaries, uh, <laughs> the Democratic Party, for their elections. And, uh, it was illegal because it denied blacks a chance to, uh, to vote and to participate. This is exactly what it sounded like. And, um, previous to this, courts had long said political parties are private organizations. They're not subject to these anti-discrimination laws. But the Supreme Court did the right thing and said, you know what? Being able to participate in the voting primaries is important in this country. And if we want to remain a democracy, we need to 
not have things like white primaries. So we're going to reach into your protected enclave and say, you can't do that anymore. Yeah. Because voting this that important. Yeah. Which is kind of a radical view in and of itself because it overturned a, a precedent and custom. Yeah. I think we should do some more. Um, when I was in New York, I saw that play, the uh, Cranston plays LBJ mm-hmm. in All the Way. And it covers the year, the 11 months post Kennedy assassination to the, his reelection bid, mm-hmm. uh, where he got the Civil Rights Act passed. And it was fascinating and did all kinds of research about it. Was Cranston good? Ah, he's great. Like completely became the character. Wow. Like I forgot it was Cranston. And then after the play, you know, he becomes Brian Cranston again to thank everyone. And it's just like, it's weird just seeing an actor in front of your eyes, like morph back into the real person. Mm-hmm. It's pretty cool. Yeah. But I, I want to definitely tackle some more civil rights issues because uh, uh probably the darkest spot in our nation's history. And it wasn't been, that, there have been plenty of wasn't them. wasn't that long ago either. I can't remember who uh, the person's name, but remember we were talking about Kent State and how that was like the darkest spot yeah. on our nation's history. And somebody wrote in and was like, eh, that was pretty bad, but don't forget all of the strikes where, you know, National Guard troops fired on and killed like a hundred striking workers just for striking in the twenties or whatever. Yeah. So whoever that was, thanks for taking me to task because that's absolutely correct. There's a lot of dark spots. A lot of dark spots. A lot of bright spots too. Sure, man. And uh, with that cheery idea, let's uh, take one more break. Okay, Sunshine, what do you got next? <laughs> uh, well, I guess you talked about the Scopes trial, or we did for a second, mm-hmm. um, some of the other most famous cases in this country's history. Like, uh, I know people that listen to our podcast on the Japanese internment camps. Yeah. Oh, and if you can't find it, just go to our archive page. We have an archive page now that has every single one of the 600-plus yeah. Stuff You Should Know episodes ever made yeah. all in one place. Yeah. It took, you know, six years to make that happen. Yeah. But we're very proud of that page. It's uh, stuffyoushouldknow.com slash podcast slash archive. Uh, so you'll find that one in there. Um, was it Japanese stragglers or did we do one on internment camps? We did one on internment, too. Okay. That was when uh, we, uh, FDR, rounded up or ordered the government to round up people of Japanese descent, uh, even some of whom were Americans. Uh, like most of them were. Yeah. Like natural born Americans. Genuine citizens. Yeah. Uh, to the relocation camps and the ACLU, um, jumped on this and they were, they were one of the only groups kind of standing up and saying this isn't right at the time. <laughs> yeah. They also had this, uh, whole campaign against calling French fries freedom fries. They're like, you can't call it that. And everybody's like, boo, sit down. Did they say that? No, but okay. I can say. <laughs> And then other famous cases like uh, Brown v. Board of Education and Roe v. Wade and Doe v. Bolton. The ACLU was instrumental in all of these. Again, um, even though it's unpopular to some people, fighting for the freedoms of the minorities. Yeah. Also, um, recently, the the Communications Decency Act, which basically made it a crime to knowingly send pornography to minors or something like that from 1996. Yeah. I said, nope, that's, that's, you can't tell people they can't do that. That's oh, really? freedom of speech. Yeah. Ugh. It was like a Janet Reno idea yeah. and it got smacked down. It's like overturned basically by the Supreme Court. Again, unpopular moves. They're not out to make friends though. No. And the one that I've got, this is to me the most despicable case that ACLU has ever taken, but take it however you want. 
Uh, have you heard of NAMBLA, the National Manboy, or the North American Manboy Love Association? I have. So NAMBLA, NAMBLA is exactly what you think. It's basically a, a club for pederasts, and their website is apparently a, uh, a tutorial, training ground, forum, chat room place to get tips Gross. on how to be a more effective pederast or pedophile. That's so disturbing. Uh, and these two guys, um, they are named uh, Charles Jaynes and Salvatore Sicari. They were convicted of murdering a couple's son, Jeffrey, in 1997. And um, they basically said everything we needed to know, we learned from NAMBLA, from the NAMBLA website. And so the Curleys, the people, the couple whose son was murdered by these um, child murderers, uh, were went after NAMBLA. Mm-hmm. And the ACLU intervened and said, oh, NAMBLA is actually an unincorporated association, not a corporation. So it's allowed to extol illegal acts all, as long as it's not inciting people, yeah. telling people to go do these illegal acts. It can still appreciate these illegal acts. And if you look at their website, that's all they're doing. And the suit against NAMBLA was dismissed. Again, not popular. No. You know the ACLU has to... You know that they feel forced into some of these situations, probably. Well, there's oftentimes been a lot of shakeups internally where people at the ACLU are saying, "No, this is this is beyond the line." Right. Like, they're, they're, this is just too wrong. What these people are saying is too despicable, and maybe we shouldn't be. Maybe they shouldn't be allowed to say it. Yeah. And the ACLU, as an organization, has walked that line. Yeah. Lost a lot of members and a lot of uh, supporters and a lot of employees. But it stayed, you know, true to its vision and is still around today. Yeah. All right. Let's say you want the ACLU to take up your cause. Okay. Um, you have to write them a letter. You have to outline your problem. Maybe provide a little evidence. Build your case with them. And if, if it's not in Modern Language Association accepted outline form, yeah, <laughs> then they they just won't even look at it. Probably so. Um, and they basically determine: is it a civil liberties case that we should get involved with? And how should we get involved? Um, they don't just go out and sue everyone. Um, most times they try to resolve the cases uh, just by getting in touch with whoever, the government agency, and saying, hey, um, you might want to check out the Constitution because it seems like what you're doing now isn't uh, isn't so great. And it might not even be Constitution. Like it could be um – it could be like we we understand what you're saying, but recently there was some legislation passed, and right. it's now law, and here's the code if you want to go look it up. But you can stop trampling this person's rights now. Yeah. Like the the uh, the staff member at the Reach program in Tennessee probably got a letter from the ACLU right. or the director did saying actually it's within this child's First Amendment rights to read this Bible, so just let them read the Bible. And right. they were probably like, we're more than happy to let them read the Bible. It's Tennessee, right? And there you go. <laughs> and it was settled, you know? Yeah. Another way of looking at it, though, is the ACLU can just strong-arm people into doing what it wants by simply writing a letter. Yeah. Or if they, you know, think don't get anywhere with a letter, that is when they either have a staff attorney or one of their pro bono volunteers take up the case. Right. Um, they're headquartered in New York City. But yeah. like we said, every state has their own chapter, and they do operate uh, autonomously. And... Like we said earlier, they don't always agree with the federal chapter, and the federal chapter generally leaves it up to the state to decide their own, like how they're going to raise their money, what cases they're going to take. Um, but if it becomes a national, like clearly a national issue, that's when the, the national organization steps in and 
get your like celebrity attorney to work pro bono. Right. Scott Bayo. Yeah. Dershowitz. <laughs> Scott Bayo. Bob blah blah. Uh I guess we should talk about how they're funded too. Yeah. Because they are a nonprofit. Yeah. Um they are generally funded by donations. The ACLU Foundation is tax deductible. And that is the group that actually they're sort of split down the middle mm-hmm. between the foundation and just the ACLU. The foundation is who litigates. The ACLU is uh, focuses on political lobbying, and that is not tax deductible. No, and when you become an ACLU member, you're actually contributing dues to the ACLU, and your dues are not tax deductible because you're contributing to their lobbying arm. If you contribute to the ACLU Foundation, then you can that is tax deductible. Yeah, and like supporting uh, actual, you know, court cases. Right. They they also maintain. Um, a, an endowment, so they have investments, um, and most controversially, they're also supported through attorneys' fees. Yeah, that's one of the big controversies for sure. Yeah, so the ACLU has a tactic where, if they win a case, they sue to recover fees. Yeah, like many do. It's not sure. Just the ACLU. Um, and but when the ACLU does that, uh, it's often these fees can run into six figures fairly easily depending on the case. Um, and so if you're like a little town, you know, in Cannon County, Tennessee, uh, if you want to stand up to the ACLU, it could very easily mean the difference between being in the red and being in the black. Yeah. Um, and if you are, uh, you very well may just say, like, forget it. It's not worth it. We can't afford to fight this. So, yes. Let, we'll turn our back on our convictions because we want to still have a town after the ACLU comes through here. Yeah, and that's what critics will uh, point to is that they use that um, card as a form of intimidation. Right. Like it, they can just say that in that letter. Like, first of all, here's the legislation that proves our client is right. Secondly, if you want to take this to court, our estimate is that it's going to cost you $600,000 if we win. Do you really want to spend $600,000 fighting this? Yeah. Think about it. Yeah. Huh? Get back to me. I've left three boxes. Yes, no, or maybe. Please check one by EOD tomorrow. Well, and then the other, uh, the other criticism there, of course, is, uh, that is government money. It's your taxpaying dollars indirectly funding the ACLU through these cases. So, um, you know, if you hate the ACLU, you're gonna probably bang that drum. I mean, imagine if your town says, yeah, we're gonna fight you, and then they lose. And they have to pay the ACLU's fees. Yeah. That, that's, that's not, that's not coming out of the mayor's like savings. That's like your tax money. So you just paid this organization that you now probably despise. Yeah. Yeah. That's the ACLU, man. That's like, that's classic ACLU right there. <laughs> you know? So where did this whole card carrying member, uh, insult come from? Michael you know? Dukakis, of course. Yeah. From what, that's what the article says. That he was the first person to, to proudly pro- proclaim to be a card-carrying member. Yeah, and it happened like just perfectly. It was Dukakis in an interview in The New Yorker talking about the ACLU. Yeah. Oh, oh come on. Yeah. Uh, so he says he's a uh, card-carrying member. He said proudly that he was a card-carrying member of the ACLU to just basically to get across his liberal bona fides. Yeah, and conservatives said, hey, that's a great insult that we can use in the future. Yeah, George H.W. Bush in particular. He basically said, he's a card-carrying member of the ACLU. Everybody hates the ACLU. They defend Nazis. And that was that. He's right. Yeah. They do defend Nazis. Yeah. Or they have. 
And they will in the future if some Nazis need help. Yeah. To the rescue. But they're also defending the little boy in Tennessee who wants to read his Bible. That's right. It's all over the map. Yep. And that is called divisive. Uh, yeah. If you, uh, you got anything else? I got nothing else. If you want to, I love this one. If you want to learn more about the ACLU, you can type that word in the search bar at howstuffworks.com. And I said search bar, so it's time for the listener mail. Uh, I'm going to call this converted fiance. Uh, and this is a gentleman from England who, whose wife, uh, I'm sorry, fiance Kathy, did not want to listen. They're getting married in May. Um, so he talks a little bit about how much he likes this show. And I will skip that part and get right to the meat. Okay. Um, I tried to get my fiance converted. It started with the JFK podcast with no luck. She moaned and said it was weird. <laughs> Which I, th- I thought that was a very straight ahead podcast, actually. Uh, not being one to quit, I tried a few weeks later uh, on Living Without a Fridge. Um, as soon as the intro began, she groaned. <laughs> <laughs> so wow. What? She's moaning and groaning. Has she ever heard us before? No. This is brand new to her. What's your deal, Kathy? She hates it. Well, let me get to it. Okay. Um, this time, uh, halfway through, though, she began commenting on some of the content, uh, such as placing your onions in the fridge. Against all odds, the next po- uh, podcast saved on the playlist was Manhunts. And as soon as she heard the topic, she shut me up from talking and listened intently. Wow. Not bad, I thought. I didn't even think that was one of our better ones. Well, she liked it. Uh, this morning, though, was the breakthrough. We were in the supermarket and wanted to purchase some avocados. None were ripe. And Kathy said... Uh, we could do that thing that bloke suggested and put the avocados in a paper bag and a banana to help it ripen. I'm that bloke. She took your advice. And uh, it worked. So, wow, I thought later in the morning she was reading about how time was running out to find the signal for the missing black box from flight uh, 370. She turned to me and asked why they couldn't find the signal. And I said, you know what? Stuff You Should Know has a podcast on that. And the next day on the car ride to the cinema, which is what they call movies, in England. Which apparently are 40 minutes drive away. <laughs> she said uh, she requested to actually play the Black Box episode. Success. Well, this guy really knows how to manipulate his fiance, doesn't he? Does. He? Uh, so he says, if any of your listeners have had uh, trouble getting their partners into it, I would suggest you keep trying. Eventually you'll find an episode or two that will capture their interest and they'll be hooked. And that is from Guy uh, Benvenista in Horsham, UK. Nice. Name and city name guy. So thanks, Kathy, for joining up to the uh, to the club. Kathy, soon to be Ben Venista. Welcome to the party. Yes, I think Kathy's going to keep her own name. Well, okay, Kathy. Either way, as long as you're listening <laughs> to stuff, you should know. We, yeah. we don't care. Uh, if you want to let us know how you turn somebody converted them, or if they you just can't convert them, we'd be very interested to find out why. Agreed. Why, why don't they like us? It's not like we care or anything, but, you know, we just want to know. Uh, you, again, as I said, you can hang out with us on um, social media, Pinterest, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Just search your favorite web browser for Stuff You Should Know, SYSK, Josh and Chuck, something like that, and it should all come up. Uh, you can send us an email to stuffpodcast at discovery.com. And, as always, hang out with us at our home on the web, stuffyoushouldknow.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. 